With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On this episode of The Cheese Room, uh, Gary Stevens talks to a man from Australia who knows nothing while I am forced to sit in the corner and twiddle with the nose. Hello fellows, how are you? It's a nice day, yes. Do you have any cheese at all? Nah, sorry Vlad. What a senseless waste of human life. Well, hello, Cheeseheads. Welcome to another episode of the Cheese Room Podcast. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm hosting out of Australia today, um, one of the uh, one of the loveliest, sunniest places on the world. And joining me from another lovely, sunny place over on this side of the world is Tottenham Hotspur legend, uh, a UEFA Cup winner, and I'm sure Aaron Jolly would have so much more to say, but I'm just not that organised. Gary Stevens, welcome. How are you? I'm extremely well, thank you, Paul. I'm happy with that introduction, says about all that needs to be said, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, we are fortunate guys, aren't we, at the moment? Um, you know, the weather is certainly warmer in these parts than uh, North London, I guess. Um, and I've got a smile on my face, so everything's good. Awesome. And, uh, and also joining us um, in, in the booth uh, over in Siberia is our resident Siberian sex pest. He's promised that he's just going to produce and keep quiet, but I think he wants to say hello, Gary. Go on, let's hear from Vlad. Hello, Gary Stevens. How are you? It's nice day, yes. Uh, Vlad, it's always a pleasure to hear from you. Really is. And uh, I trust life is treating you quite well, is it? Oh, life is fantastic in Siberia. And uh, as you know, Svetlana has been doing some traveling and uh, organizing parties, which is why, of course, you have a big smile on your face, no? <laughs> well, that would, be, um, that would be telling too much. So uh, I'm going to take the Fifth Amendment on that one, if you don't mind. Okay, well, look, I am going to go back to my booth and leave you to talk to this end of the bell for the next half hour and, uh, and maybe we chat at the end, yes? Okay, Vlad, all the best. Good to speak. Uh, it's always nice to hear his dulcet tones, isn't it, Gary? Um, well, look, Vlad aside, um, I think things are really good at the moment. I mean, we talked 
maybe 12 months ago when uh, when Mourinho was arriving and I was really reticent and, and I didn't I didn't really think that he was going to do the right thing and we were going to be playing this horrible brand of football, which, you know, maybe we saw for a while. But if we look at where we are now, it's kind of exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's lots of uh, pluses there. Um, you know, if you have a look at the, the current league position, sat sixth in the table after four games and... You know, yes, of course, it is extremely early in this late starting season. Um, and of course, we've had all the distractions of, you know, COVID-19 and will games be played and won't they be played and the difficulty that everybody has had to face. Um, but I, I really think that there are some some positives for the Spurs fans. Um, if you look at the most recent transfer window and the, the players that have come in, and also Spurs have moved a few out, predominantly on loan as well. I think the balance of the squad looks much better than it did. Um, the team's got through the qualifying stages of the Europa League, which is never easy. Those, and they were one-off games rather than two-legged games as well. Um, Spurs have also progressed, admittedly due to one bye, but they've progressed through a couple of rounds of the League Cup as well. So, you know, pretty much it is win-win at the moment for the, the side. You know, you look at the games in the early part of the season, they've played now a grand total of eight, should have been nine, but of those eight, they've won five, drawn two, lost one, which was the opening game of the season against Everton. Um, yeah, I, I think there's lots of positive stuff we can talk about. It's where we zoom into. Well, I mean, I think that the first place to start is, is let's look at the, the players that have come in because I think that there's been, you know, as you said, there's been a, a rebalancing happening with the squad. Uh, and I think that there's maybe some surprises for all of us in, in the players that are finding themselves in favour and those that are finding themselves out of favour. Um, one of the first ones to come in was, uh, was Hoiberg. Um, and I'm sure that, that Benny, if he's listening, will really hate me for pronouncing that badly. But, you know, that's, um, I'm not Danish, so, you know, that's what it is. Well, what, do you, what do you think of him as a, as a player and, and how does he fit into our system? Oh, you mean Pierre-Emile Huyberg? That's the fella, yep. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I always liked him at Southampton. I thought he was a, a really solid, functional player. Um, you know, not a fancy dam by any stretch of the imagination, competed, got it, passed it, moved it, defended, played forward when he could. Um, you know, I always, I always liked him. Did I see him as a, a Spurs player? Not necessarily. But having said that, you do need a balance. And it's interesting that a really solid type player in the middle of midfield, a holding defensive type player, was the first player in through on the transfer window of Jose Mourinho um, this close season. Um, it's amazing. After the first game at home against Everton, I saw lots of social media stuff. You know, what have we signed? He was rubbish. Um, and as I always say, it's far too early to judge a player on one game. And if you look back to Southampton, and I think since then... Um, Hoiberg has, has gone from strength to strength. I think he's been a, a really good signing. Yeah, I, I think he's been a, a good signing. And one of the, the criticisms um, of our midfield last season was that um, Winks, who, who comes in for absolute pelters, and I think quite unfairly, um, was trying to play that defensive role that he's not suited for. And the, because of that, he was playing, you know, not thinking forward. Do you think that playing uh, alongside, we'll just call him Pierre, 
um, will help Wings. Do you think he'll become that more forward-thinking player? That is because he's clearly got the ability to move the ball um, forward and be more attacking. Do you think that's going to release him at all? I think it will help him personally. Yeah, I really do. Um, you know, I've, I've in the past I've said about Harry Winks, I'd like to see him be a little bit bolder. But if he's if he's that defensive holding midfield player, how can you be bold and and really progressive and look to play forward all the time? Because you know you've got the the weight of that defensive role. So yeah, I, I like it very much. I think you know Winks whether you know whether he plays alongside Hoiberg or Sizoko possibly. But but when you start to look, and I'd like to quickly just go through this. When you start to look through the the eleven positions on the field for Spurs, you know you're looking goal. You got Larice or Hart, and of course I think. Um, Gazaniga's still there as well. If you look at central defenders, you've got maybe Sanchez or Tanganga, and then the other side you've got Dyer and Alderweireld. Um, if you look at right back, Doherty and Aurier, left back is uh, Regayon or Davis. In the midfield, as we've touched on, Winks or um, Ndombele, and then you've got Sizoko or Hoiberg, and then an attacking role from midfield is. Deli Alley or Lo Celso. Then you look on the right, you've got maybe Lamella or Lucas. On the left, you've got Bergwijn or Son. Up front, you've got Kane or Vinicius, if that's the correct pronunciation. Shall we just call him Carlos? Yeah, sounds um, good. And by the way, I haven't mentioned Gareth Bale in amongst that either. No, we, um, were, we were saving the Welsh bloke, Gary. That was that was going to come later on. But let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's jump in. Let's, let's look at him because he is a, he's an absolute icon. And in a dressing room, as a player... When somebody of that standard arrives at your club, what does that do to you? Well, I think he gives you a lift. There's, there's no two ways about it. You know, when I first walked into the changing room at Spurs, having left Brighton and joined Tottenham in '83, you know, I walked into a changing room with some icons. You know, Ozzy Ardiles, Glenn Hoddle, Ray Clements, and and that's just to mention three. So, you know, even. The likes of Harry Kane at Spurs and Son at Spurs and Lloris at Spurs. Um, you know, when Gareth Bale suddenly is going to be walking into the place, it gives them a lift as well. And, you know, actually, th this club means some business. Yes, of course, you know, he was coming with a bit of a, a slight injury. So there's, there was going to be a delay. But, you know, you know that he's going to get over that. You look at what he's done at at Real Madrid, what he's won, his achievements, his goals. And in actual fact, if you cast your mind back to before he went to Real Madrid, what he did at Spurs the first time round, personally, I think it's a, it's a master stroke to get him in. And the way they've got him in on a year's loan, for me, is even better because, of course, potential question marks, you know, is he what he was? Well, no, of course he's not. But I actually think, arguably, he's a, he's a better player um, because of his experience and his know-how. Um, and if there were some, some problems with actually the rigours of the English Premier League and remaining fit week in and week out, well, you know, you haven't taken a, a player on on a three-year contract that you might regret. I think it's brilliant. I, I think that, you know, if you look at the, the fans' views on it, I mean, it, it gave us all such a massive lift, just, you know, thinking that the bail was coming. And, and it overshadowed um, Regulon as well, who is a fantastic left-back. I mean, he, he looked like he got a little bit caught out initially in the, the first maybe 10, 15 minutes of the Chelsea game in his debut. But after that, what a player. I mean, we, we've signed an amazing left-back. I mean, I, I think that we're... 
we're getting back to almost a Pochettino era of having these swashbuckling fullbacks, and it just feels like it's really exciting. Well, it is. Um, you know, Reguillon is um, a top left back. There's no doubt about it. I think he was actually voted as the the top left back in the uh, La Liga last season um, while he w while he was playing for Sevilla. Um, so yeah, and and when you look at the transfer fee, reported twenty eight million. Um, yes, it's a huge amount of money, but by transfer standards and, and some of the money that's being paid for players, it looks as if it could be great value as well. Absolutely. And I think what you said about the, um, the, the business we've done, it's been, it's been really good business, really good players, but it's been done sensibly. And, and one of the things that our, our chairman is often you know, pinged for is being a tight ass. Um, but I think if you look at how he's managed this transfer window, it's incredible business. It really is fantastic. Yes. Um, I think people generally in football um, get pelters left, right and centre, whether they're a player, whether they're a coach, whether they're the owner of a club. It is a really, really difficult business these days because it is so international. Um, and, you know, when, when you look at the, the players that, that Spurs have acquired where they've come from club-wise, what their nationalities are. You know, we, we've got Regalion, who's from Spain. We've got Vin Vinicius um, from Brazil. Um, you know, Hoiberg's from Denmark. OK, playing from Southampton. Um, you know, it truly is an international business, and it is a full-time business for a team of people just tracking players and availability and games around the world. Um, and, you know, to, to add to that, you know, Ryan Sessegnon's just gone out on loan. He's gone to Hoffenheim, for example. You know, one fourth, he's gone out on loan. He's gone to Villarreal, as, as another example. Um, you know, Vertonghen, okay, released on a free transfer, gone to Benfica. You know, it just backs up how global this game has become. And, and to add to the global, and, and you may not know this, I know because I'm out here in Australia and I'm involved with Ospers, um, but they, they also have now set up a, uh, a training facility at the University of Wollongong. So there is a, a specific Tottenham Hotspur training um, facility happening in Australia. Um, and, and the club as a whole is still looking um, in all corners of the world to, to be involved in, in football programmes, which you know, again, is really exciting. And, you know, who knows what players we could have developing from those programmes? Well, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I think it is, to, to some extent, it's a numbers game, isn't it? So, the, you know, the more people that you, you have um, around the world working for your club, with your club, um, at all the various levels from grassroots through into local club football into, you know, the, the national game in various countries, be it South America, be it Southeast Asia, wherever, um, you know, somewhere along the line, you are potentially likely to find a little diamond. Um, and also, along with that, you're, you're going to generate more awareness and a bigger following for the club. And unless you are out there doing that type of work, which is why so many clubs in recent seasons, pre-season, end of season, have basically travelled halfway around the world and further. 
um, to to push their brand out to more people. Yeah, and it's you know the, the club has in the past received a bit of criticism for for doing tours in in all these different countries and you know going going over to Australia at the end of a season and going to America and those kind of things. But I think that, that often that's that's a fan's perspective of well, I'm not going to get to see Gary Stevens up at Stevenage because he's going to be out in Melbourne. Well, possibly is the answer. Um, but, you know, it, it's a very different game to, to when I had my seven years at Spurs. You know, most pre-seasons we tended to go to, to Scandinavia, invariably Norway, um, you know, maybe mainland Europe, as I would call it. Um, but, you know, certainly we never left the continent of Europe. Um, but as I say, the, the game is global. So if you sit, you know, I think it's been one of the problems that has been um, thrown at English or British coaches over the last two or three decades. And that is that English and British coaches just haven't travelled um, and, you know, been too insular. Well, you know, the Premier League is a fantastic league. And one of the reasons it is so big is because of all the clubs that have gone out there and have gone global and the marketing that's gone with it. So, uh, you know, be it right, be it wrong, it's where the game is, and um, most of us still love it. Uh, we do still love it, and as you've been talking about the Premier League, let's, let's jump straight across to that. Now, you finished your career in 92, is that correct? Um, yeah, pr pretty much, yeah. Which was just as the Premier League was, uh, was coming on board. So, you know, you played football for, for all the young crowd before football existed. Um, <laughs> what, what do you remember about the, the forming of the, the Premier League and, and what, were, what were the feelings uh, from the players um, at that time? And I, I kind of asked that because we're going to talk about the, the new um, big picture proposals. Well, as much as anything, it was, in our opinions, I think, it was just a, a rebranding of the top division. Simple as that. Um, and although the Premier League, in effect, broke away from the Football League, um, it was still at the, sat at the top of the pyramid. Um, and, yeah, in, in effect, if, if you had left a, a Division One club, which had now become the, the Premier League, you were still playing in, in effect, Division One, which was the old Division Two, which ultimately that became rebranded and became the Championship. So I think at that stage in 1992, when the Premier League started, um, most people felt that it was just a, a rebranding exercise to generate some, some publicity, to, to breathe some fresh life, fresh breath into the product. Um, but I don't think back then anybody envisaged the growth that the Premier League has undergone. Yeah, I think that maybe you're right from a player's perspective, but I think certainly the club saw the the sky money as the um, as the golden chalice for them. Um, and we look at what they're trying to to push through at the moment, which has come from um, Liverpool and Man United apparently. So reducing the Premier League from 20 to 18 clubs, um, getting rid of the EFL Cup and the Community Shield. Um, what, what do you think about those? I mean, there's often a lot of talk about whether the the um, the Carabao Cup is is something that's worth competing for. 
Um, but I think if we win it this year, I'm going to be a very happy man. So how, how would you feel about those being removed and the Premier League going down to, to 18 clubs this time? Well, first and foremost, on, on the trophies, um, if you aren't playing in Europe, then basically there's only three trophies available to you, and that's the, the league title, the FA Cup and the League Cup. So, so why do you want to reduce your odds by 33% and say goodbye to the League Cup? Um, for the bigger clubs, I can see where maybe it becomes a bit of an inconvenience because they are playing in Europe, so they're going for four. And if you'd won the league before, the season before, or you'd won the FA Cup the season before, well, you're going to be playing in the Community Shield. And I personally think the Community Shield is a trophy that you count as a trophy. Some people say, oh, it's just a pre-season friendly um, and it doesn't mean anything. I'll tell you what it means. It means that the year before you won the FA Cup or you won the league. It's as simple as that, um, which means that you're a successful club. Um, so, so that's those two put to bed. Um, I would like to see them both remain. Um, the, the reason there is this project big picture is, in, in my opinion, it should be called project self-portrait because this is about the biggest clubs, the big six, actually trying to put themselves very, very much at the top and in control of everything. Um, and it's been instigated, it would appear, you're right, by Liverpool Football Club and their owner predominantly, I believe, John Henry, who is an American, who actually is used to franchises in America, sports franchises, and also no relegation. You know, if you've got a sports franchise in the top basketball league or baseball league, you basically you can't get relegated out of it. Um, and the other one is, is Manchester United behind it and Joel Glazier as um, the co-owner of Manchester United. And again, from the United States, knows about franchises and what have you. Um, and then the really surprising one is the, the input of Rick Parry, who is the current chairman of the English Football League, who obviously has lots of problems because the teams in the Championship and League One and League Two are so financially strapped at the moment that maybe it's something that would, would interest them. Um, am, am I happy about it? Do I think it's right? Um, no, I'm not particularly happy about it. No, I don't think it's right. Um, I think the football family needs to look after the football family. Um, and, OK, if you are in charge of one of the big six... Um, I can understand why you're, you're trying to get the best deal you possibly can. But you, in my opinion, an English club shouldn't be getting the best deal they possibly can for themselves and at the same time screwing the, pretty much the rest of football because that's how it's coming across to me. Yeah, I mean, there is the provision of a, a £250 million payment to, um, to football league clubs, which... And you know, and we we can see from the the stuff that's going on with with Macclesfield going out of business, um, and and the the pressure that's on these football league clubs. Um, you know, I'm quite worried about Southend United at the moment. You know, that that's uh, a town where my son was born. He used to live around the back of Roots Hall, and the club's in big trouble. And there's a lot of those stories across the football league. And I think that the idea of the Premier League supporting those clubs is fantastic. 
But does it have to be at the expense of um, the cup competitions and, and those kind of things? Yeah. Well, well I, I actually don't believe that the Premier League are offering that 250 million um, as help. They're offering that as a little bit of a compensation package for in years to come when the big six have got themselves in this powerful, even more powerful position in the Premier League um, and 25% of the TV money that they've also promised the, the lower league clubs thereafter actually isn't as much as it is today because part of the deal is that the big six will have the right to sell off some of their own TV rights and it won't be done as a joint thing. Um, listen, if you, if you want to buy somebody's house, when's a good time to make them a really cheap offer? I would suggest it's when they're struggling to make their mortgage payments and they've just been made redundant. Okay, so I think you could put in a cheeky offer and maybe steal their house. And I think this is a cheeky offer from the Premier League to steal power, knowing that most of the football league below them are really struggling, are desperate for finances, and they see this as a way, this is the football league club, see this maybe as a way of surviving the immediate issues, surviving the next few years, but then when do, where do they go? Because guess what? They've, they've sold the crown jewels. They've got nothing left else that they can sell. Now they will have to stand on their own two feet and I don't think the situation will be any easier for them. And the irony of this is that there's so many players who are playing at the, the top level that have come through the lower leagues of football. And by fisting the lower leagues of football, effectively the, the Premier League is going to cut off that supply. Well, yeah, it, it's, it, that is potentially the case. And, and, you know, there's been a suggestion that, you know, Premier League clubs are, you know, if football league clubs go out of business, Premier League clubs are suggesting that maybe their B team will slot into a, lo a league lower down the pyramid. Um, now, I, ju I just don't like it. And, and when you start looking at some of the detail of the proposed agreement, Last season, for example, Liverpool won the league and they got just over 160 million in TV and prize money. Norwich, who finished bottom, got 95 million. Okay, so yeah, it, it's a big number. It, it's 65 million different. But if the new proposal had been in place, well, the first team, Liverpool, wouldn't have got 160 million. They would have got 190 million. And Norwich wouldn't have got 95 million at the bottom. They would have got only 48 million. So suddenly the difference from top to bottom in prize money, which is, is reasonably substantial at the moment, goes even further. Um, so I, you know, I think the devil is in the detail on this deal. Um, and the good thing from my perspective is that my understanding is that the Football Association and the Football Association in England is tasked with looking after football from the very highest down to the very lowest, through the, the, uh, the male and the female, through the disabled, through all aspects of football, okay? And by all accounts, the FA chairman, Greg Clark, knows that the FA have what is known as a special share, like a, a golden vote. So they actually can block anything 
pretty much, that they believe would be to the detriment of football overall. So I, I think there is still a grasp on football with the FA, despite all the criticism they get, to keep this under control so that you know the dynamics don't just totally change. And I don't think the FA are alone. There are clubs that are currently speaking out about this, including uh, the ones we're playing next weekend. Um, but we don't really know how, how Spurs, as a club, um, are reacting to it. They've been fairly tight-lipped over it. Um, and I guess we just have to see how it plays out. Did you think that something comes out of this, um, ultimately, that, that will benefit the game? Do you think there will be you know, maybe a revised version of this that... Uh, that provides a mechanism for the Premier League to support the clubs that are, are, are struggling? Or do you think that we're just living in hope that uh, we get a football utopia? Well, I hope that something will come out of it that benefits football. Um, because you know, people ask me, who do you support, Gary? I say, I'm a football fan. That's what I am first and foremost. I'm a football fan. Yes, I had five great years at Brighton Football Club, so I want them to do well. Yes, I had seven great years at Spurs, so I want them to, to do well. You know, before that, I was at Ipswich as a schoolboy for five years, and of course I follow them. And, and at the end of my career, I had a season and a bit down at Portsmouth, and, and, you know, I want them to do well. But first and foremost, I'm a football fan who's... Um, had a career as a player and I'm really privileged and honoured to have had that career. So now I want to see decisions made for the good of football. And I understand it's a competitive business and, you know, Liverpool are trying to get above Manchester United and Spurs and City and Arsenal and whoever. And of course, you know, Burnley are striving to get into the top half of the table and, and Brighton are looking to do that this season as well. So I understand it's competitive, but there needs to be at least a, a relatively level playing field. You know, where the big clubs get their huge advantage is with their capacity. So, you know, why do you think Spurs have spent all the money they've spent on the new stadium to take their capacity from about 36,000 up to well in excess of 60,000? Well, it's because it generates revenue on a match day. You know, why have they developed the the surface that can be rolled in and rolled out so you can have a synthetic surface? Well, it's so that they can have American football there, they can have concerts there, so that the venue can generate revenue for them, so that they can spend that revenue on improving and developing their, you know, their football product as well. So, you know, the, the big clubs have a huge advantage anyway over the, no disrespects, the the Burnleys and the, the Brightons, who was Brighton's capacity at the Amex? Is it just over 30,000, I think? Yes, about that. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a huge difference there, and, and that you have to accept. But for me, um, screwing your opponents into the ground because you have the power to do it, I don't think he's right. And in actual fact, with the Premier League, basically any major change out of the 20 clubs, you have to have 14 voting for it in order for it to go through. And, you know, the big six are, are going to vote for this, but I don't think there's anybody outside the big six who are prepared to accept it. So, you know, I don't think it will happen, but there will possibly be something between the two. 
Well, let's hope it's something that comes out better for the game. I mean, I, I would not like to see the cup competitions um, devalued any more than they already are. Um, you know, I remember having some great nights when we won the, the League Cup and the FA Cup. And, you know, th those things are, are very important to me, very, very precious. And, of course, you know, the, 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 the European um, Cup as well, the, when we won the, the UEFA Cup, that was a, a very special night. Um, and I don't want to see those things being devalued. So while we're talking about cups, what do you think we can do this year? Great question. Um, you know, I heard Mourinho not so long ago saying that, you know, we're in, we're in the Europa League um, and, you know, that's where we are. Um, and I've competed in it twice and I've won it twice. So he quite likes the Europa League. So when you, your leader, your boss, your head coach quite likes the Europa League, I think it gives you a chance. And, and in many ways, I think, you know, Spurs are very suited to that European football competition. Um, and be that Europa League, be that, of course, the uh, Champions League. So, yeah, I think it's a, a real opportunity for Spurs, the Europa League this season. Um, you know, we'll find out a little bit more over the next sort of three weeks because um, they play Premier League and then they play... LASK Linz, don't they, in the Europa League? Then they play Burnley, and then it's Royal Antwerp in the Europa League, and then they play Brighton, and then it's Ludogorets um, in the Europa League. So in three weeks' time, we'll know very much where they stand in their group, um, and I anticipate it's going to be right at the top. So yeah, I think there's a real opportunity for for Spurs there, and and it's a it's also by winning the Europa League, it gets you into the Champions League. So you know, it's a it's a real opportunity. Yeah, and it's it's a competition that um, that has changed massively with with the league format. But I think that that for once we look at that that uh, that group that we're in and we think, well, actually, that's that's not bad. There's not a huge amount of travelling, you know. We're not going out to to Carabag or something on a Thursday night. Um, you know, we've got to be quite happy. I think that there's there's a path through that group. Yeah, definitely through the group, and then of course, you know, the the knockout stages, and I'm not even totally sure if they've decided at this stage whether the knockout stages will be two-legged games or they're just going to be played over one leg as per the qualifying games which historically have always been played over two as well but because of the um, world pandemic that we're all trying to deal with um, they just kept it to the bare minimum um, but you know I, I quite like it when it's you know it's you know you, you're either through or you're out so once they're past the group stage, yeah, it's a home game or it's an away game. You know, you, you play it, whether it's extra time or not, but then it's penalties. And actually, may the best team, the boldest team, the bravest team win. Now, what's our motto? Well, there is Fakere. <laughs> That's the one, yeah? You know, so it's about being brave, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, you talk about the, uh, the, the best team on the night. I mean, I, I think that... The League Cup, although it still gets, um, you know, it, it gets derided a bit. I think that it became more exciting when they got rid of the, the whole two-legged affair all the way through, um, and it became about that that one game, um, and, and I think that's really benefited the competition. So, if the same happens in the Europa League, then you know maybe we'll see some some more exciting games throughout that. Yeah, I, I think I think you know these European tournaments where there's a league group stage to start with, you know. <laughs> 
everybody goes a little bit cautious because, well, actually, let's make sure we're, we're in it to the very end. Whereas if it's a one-off game, actually, let's make sure we win it today because that's our one and only chance. And you, know, you talk about the League Cup. I'm just trying to think, who's won it for the last three, four years, certainly the last three years? It's Man City, one of the biggest clubs in the English Premier League. Don't tell me it's not a valuable trophy to have. Yeah, and I think what you said about uh, about Jose and, and the uh, UEFA Cup, we'll still call it the UEFA Cup, being in it twice, winning it twice, I think that he doesn't really care what competition it is. He just wants to win whatever he's in. Um, and, you know, I think that's a really good mentality that hopefully is coming through to the players because uh, I'd really like to see us win a domestic cup this year. Um, and I think, I think we can do that, don't you, Gary? Well, exactly. Why not? You know... <laughs> Progress already been made in the the uh, the League Cup. Um, this particular season ends in a one, doesn't it? Which historically, if you look back, Spurs seem to do quite well in the FA Cup when the year ends in a one as well. I think there's um, a song not, about that somewhere. Isn't there? <laughs> somewhere, not not that I'm particularly superstitious on that one at all. Um, but yeah, I think you're right about Mourinho. You know, actually. He, not only does he really want to win, he likes to win, he truly hates to lose. It's as simple as that. And that, that mentality does filter down and through the rest of people around him, be that his coaching staff, be that the people in the club, be that, most importantly, the players, because they are the ones who have to get the result on the pitch. Um, and from a, a Spurs fan's perspective, you know, one trophy... This century, I believe, is right. You know, the, the League Cup on one occasion in, in 20 years. You know, it's not enough silverware. It needs to change. It, it does need to change. And, you know, we're, we're all very hopeful that this year is the year that it changes. Um, and I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to be bold here and say, Gary, what about top four? Are we going to finish in the top four this year? Hmm. Uh, that's the toughest one, in all honesty. Um, you know, yes, to win a, a cup, you, you need some good fortune on, on the day, on the through the league part of it, if it's the Europa League, whatever. Um, to, to get in the top four, you've got to be consistently good across 38 games. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, I, I do some uh, English Premier League coverage for Astro Supersport, um, which is uh, in Malaysia. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm across the Premier League and, and part of the gig this season was they wanted to see our league table, our final league table of the season. And, and you know, you really do have to write it down and stick to it because after one game, you know, when, you know, Spurs have been disappointed against, disappointing against Everton, you go, actually... They ain't going to finish as high as you think. Because we're all full for the judge the team, judge the player by the moment. Let me try and answer your question. Sadly, because I have to do this professionally and not with my heart, I have to do it with my head, I've got Spurs finishing fifth. But I'm a rubbish, rubbish predictor. I truly am. Um, I, I think the top two will, will be Liverpool and Man City. Um, and I, I actually feel that uh, Chelsea and Manchester United will occupy those third and fourth places, and then I've then I've got Spurs. Um, the only consolation is I've got them above Arsenal in sixth. 
So I think it's well, that's I think something. That's the, yeah, that, I think that's the toughest aspect this season for Spurs. I, I think of the of the tournaments that they're in: Europa League, League Cup, FA Cup, Premier League top four. I think that Premier League top four is the toughest aspect. It always is though, because you have to be on the top of your game throughout the whole season. You know, a, a cup. Um, you, you can have a good run, and you're, you're all of a sudden you're in the semi-finals, you know, and, mm. and from there on it's anyone's game. Um, look, I, I, I disagree with you. I, I think that we can um, crack the top four. Um, I, I would like to see us um, sneaking in there this year. I, I mean, I, I would love to say we're going to win the league, but I'm not Owen. I don't think that's actually going to happen this year. But, you know, I do think that we can crack into that top four. And, and if not, we'll just win the Europa League and get to the Champions League that way. So, you know, it's win-win really, isn't it? You know, and, and you, you say you think Spurs can, and you're right. Yeah, they can. Um, you know, I, I had to do this for a, um, another organisation and, and you, you know, you have to stick it in and who knows how, how much of a, a Mickey take it will be come the end of the season. Um, but, you know, when I look at this particular Premier League season, when I look at the way it's all crammed in, the late start, the pretty punctual finish um, next year, all the cup competitions squeezed in there, international games, Nations League, um, qualifiers for, for nations and goodness knows what, um, the pandemic. You know, if there was ever going to be a season where the unexpected happens, and I think we have to say the last time that happened in the league, it was Leicester winning the league. If there was ever a season when the unexpected could happen, it has to be this season. You know, let, let's just say, you know, Man United won Spurs six recently. You know, who saw that one coming? Let, or let's Liverpool just talk, two, Aston Villa seven. There, there you go. Exactly. Um, so it it could be a little bit of a, a crazy season in many ways. And off the back of that, if you just get it right, and we've already at the beginning of the show went through that, you know, 11 for Spurs. And in every single position on the park, you know, whether you play a, a back four, a back three, um, whether you play three in midfield, three up front, two old in whatever you play, there's definitely two top players for every position. And we started off by talking about all the, the different players. And um, I do want to come back to that because we kind of got Gareth Bale sidetracked, which I think everyone did. Um, and there's a couple of players that I wanted to talk about who uh, seem to really polarise Spurs fans at the moment. One of them is seems to be the first-choice centre-back, um, which is Eric Dyer. Um, and there seems to be... He's like Marmite. You seem to either love him or hate him. And personally, I love him. I think he's a, a, you know, a really good... Um, character, I think that you know he may not be as technical as as Toby Alderweireld, but I think as a centre back, I think he's I think he's doing great at the moment. How do you feel about Eric Dyer, Gary? Yeah. Um, I've always liked him as a player. Um, you know, when you think about his football education um, in Portugal, for example, where they actually spend historically have spent a lot more time on the technical side of the game than than in England. So I think, you, you know, people who think he lacks technical ability are probably a little bit wrong there. Um, 
is he quite is he athletic enough in the, the modern game? Um, well, that's possibly the only area that I'm not so sure about with him. Um, having said that, he's certainly no slouch. You know, he's a, he's in a he's an England international. He's been playing for England through a, a very successful time for England. He's been playing for Spurs um, under Pochettino and obviously now Mourinho through what has been a, a relatively successful time as far as, you know, finishing, qualifying for the Champions League, getting in the Champions League final, etc. Um, so he's very close if he isn't, is the honest truth. Um, and when a manager shows faith in you and when a manager convinces you that you are the right player and that you are his player, you grow in stature. And I actually think that uh, Dyer is going to grow in stature and performance this season. And I, I hope and I believe that come the end of the season, we're talking about what a great season Dyer has had, other, rather than, you know, why are we playing him as one of our central defenders? Good. I, 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 tell, I mean, he's, he's in your position. So, I mean, you're, you're the man that would know whether he's good enough or not. Um, the other player that I think is, is dividing opinion at the moment, and certainly um, Jose doesn't seem to, to have much of a, an opinion about him, is Delhi. And there seems to be, I don't know if it's a fall from grace, if he's upset someone, but there's, there's something going on with, with Delhi at the moment. He's lost his form, he's lost his place. Is that recoverable? Yes, of course it is. No doubt about it, in my opinion. Um, you know, a, a really good player an international player, a, a top Premier League player, and, and I put him definitely in that category when he was scoring goals and, and you know, contributing with assists a couple of seasons ago for fun. Um, of course, he can get back to that. Um, I don't know why he's fallen from grace a little bit. Um, you know, I don't know what's going on outside of football for him. I know there was that unfortunate incident that was reported where his house was broken into and I think he and or other people were there at the time and you know that can be hugely unsettling and you know I, I just don't know what else is going on but the answer is yes of course he can um will he yeah I think I think he will is the honest truth um and I, I think maybe Mourinho's just trying a, a slightly different tactic with him and that's a little bit of tough love um, and I hope he's got it right and that tough love turns Deli Alley round and, and back into the player that we all know he is capable of being and that we've seen of him. Well, I, I've, I've heard that, uh, I, I don't know if it was Bill that said it or if it came from somewhere else, but uh, a pat on the back is two foot away from a kick up the arse and you know, sometimes maybe that is what you need. Um, and maybe that's what Deli needs to, to get himself going again. Because if we have him back you know, at his best, you know, what a, what a forward five that is. That's just, it's, uh, it's tingling. It makes things tingle. I'm, I'm very, very excited about where we go with the season. But as we all know, it is the hope that kills you. Um, so, <laughs> you know, let's do this again in six months and see how it all turned out. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you, and you say about that forward five, you know, and there's, te there's 10 players to fill them five positions as well. There, there truly is. Um, you know, I can't pronounce them all. Vinicius, Vinicius Kane. Carlo, yeah. Yeah, Carlo, yeah. Bergwijn, Son, Lamella, Lucas, Bale, Deli Alley, Lo Celso, 
Tengenga, uh, no, sorry, um, Undombele, Tengai Undombele. Um, you know, I think that's, I think I've come up with 10 names there. You know, it, it truly is mouthwatering. It's, it's exciting, but, you know, this thing about football, we never quite know, do we? We don't know. And the Harlow Globetrotter will be going back and checking that you had 10 names there, Gary, and he will be posting on the Facebook page if you got it wrong. So just look out for that one. Um, yeah. But we'll ignore him anyway. Uh, mate, we've come to the end of our 45 minutes. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always, to talk to you. Um, I do have a little red light flashing in my screen, so that means that the uh, Siberian sex best has something that he wants to say. So uh, we might just let him in to finish up the show. But Gary, thanks again, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. Always great talking to you. Always great talking about Spurs. And come on then, Vlad, what have you got to say? Well, I tell you what I, I have to say. Uh, every time Vlad is on the pod, people will say, oh, Vlad, he makes the innuendo and he makes sex gags and he does all these things. And I've been listening quietly in the booth to you and fellows the end of the bell talking. You have been screwing people. You have been fisting people. You have been doing all of these things that Vlad is in trouble for. So I am, I'm just going to say, Gary, you are in two-week ban and fellows is a month ban. Okay? <laughs> and, and then you can come back if you behave. Well, I'll try my best to behave. And do you know, it's funny. I thought all of those comments I was making were that subtle that even a genius like yourself, Vlad, you wouldn't pick up on it. Oh, well, of course, Svetlana is listening next to me and saying, Gary saying screw, Gary saying screw. <laughs> Gary, okay, Vlad, lovely to talk to you. All the best, Vlad. Yes, thank you so much. And I am going to say goodbye to Luigi. says, I do not want to let fellows back in. So remember to follow us on the Twitter and the Facebook and uh, subscribe to the pod and let us know what you think. We love hearing your, your thoughts on the pod. Uh, and one final thing, and I'm sure Gary will join me in this. We want to wish all our best to Ray Clements. Ray has not been, uh, has not been well recently. And uh, all of the cheeseheads around the world are, are sending positive vibes to, to Ray Clements. So get well soon, please, big man. Yeah, I'll second that. You know, Clem was, uh, was a, a great man and a great teammate when I first went to the club, and I'm a good friend of his, and, you know, we are all a little bit concerned. But, Raimondo, sending you our strength and positive vibes. Stay strong. And all that he's left to say now is, uh, come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Yeah, come on, you Spurs. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.